Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show. What we're going to do here today is we're going to discuss some what we've been watching. Uh, if we have some time, we might squeeze in a bit of film news, but we're going to move on into an in-depth review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom featuring YouTuber Patrick H. Willems, who was recently on the show for our solo review, uh, got a lot of great feedback on his appearance then. So looking forward to diving into that film with Patrick today on the podcast. Find more episodes of the show at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast.gmail.com. Gentlemen, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. Um, so this week, I had a chance to see Blockers, the comedy by Kay Cannon, which is going to be yeah. coming out on Blu-ray on July 3rd. Uh, the studio sent us all some copies of this movie on Blu-ray. Um, we talked and- about this one when you were on your sabbatical. Oh, uh- Whatever your your yeah. sabbatical, your honeymoon, I should yeah. call it. I should call it a honeymoon. That's yeah. what you were on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I just gotta say I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought it was very very funny, uh, and it's kind of like a reverse American American Pie, as it were. Um, but it ends up being like very sweet and kind of uh, like tackles this idea of why is it parents are uncomfortable with. Uh, their children having sex, you know, and it kind of has an actual dialogue about that in a way that I think is uh, pretty smart and also very amusing. Uh, what did you guys think of this movie when you first saw it, Jeff? Yeah, I liked it a lot too. And it's, it, you say about their children having sex. I think it's even specifically about their female children yeah. having sex mm-hmm. uh, and how there's sort of a double standard for girls and boys. And it, it directly, uh, you know, takes on the fact that this kind of movie, which is sort of a teen sex comedy, which is traditionally, traditionally, maybe not the best word, uh, most often uh, delivered from the male point of view right. is like this, you know, exciting, hilarious, positive uh conquest idea this this quest for for, you know, losing your virginity. It's uh, super bad, you know, or whatever. And it always comes from this male perspective of like, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And there's this double standard that with with females uh, doesn't seem to be the case, at least from the parents' perspective. And this is squarely about the parents and the kids. And I love how it's it's very uh, positive about these are you know good kids trying to do a good thing, and it is really funny. I think the parents are really funny, and it establishes characters. At least one of the parents in particular, which in a lesser movie would be just a pure antagonist. Uh, he's like actually the one on the side of the kids, you know, right, it, right. it's, it's really, I think, w- smartly written and turns a very traditional trope on its head, but also is, is genuinely laugh out loud. I mean, there's a lot of very contrived humor, but these movies have that. They tend to have that. So I didn't really hold that against it. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. And I'm such a huge John Cena fan. I thought he was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Devendra, do you have a chance to see it? Or Oh, I still have not seen it, but I'm really looking forward to it. That cast alone, like, it's uh, really tempting for yeah, me. Yeah, jo- John Cena, man, like, he, I think he really proves himself as a comedic actor in this film. Yeah. I mean, he was the one I was most surprised by uh, of the kind of older characters. And then um, the uh, younger uh, girl character played by uh, Geraldine Viswanathan. Viswanathan? Uh, she's that is the breakout performance of this movie, in my opinion. Um, she plays Kayla in the movie, and uh, she's just so funny and so irreverent. And uh, I thought she's great, so I think this is actually uh, a movie I'd recommend like a very funny comedy. Uh, definitely check it out. It's out on Blu ray on July 3rd, 2018, 
and uh, the Blu-ray saw it. So, uh, yeah. Are there any like bonus scenes or I mean, the, the the cover of the Blu-ray says stuff like you know raunchy stuff, unrated scenes that you couldn't see in theater. I mean, is there? Well, I, did, like I, did that? Not, I did not see it in theater, so I don't know. Ah, uh, there added? is a close-up shot of testicles in in the. Uh, mm. In the Blu-ray version, and I don't know if that was in the original. I don't um, remember yeah. that, but I don't know if I would remember <laughs> testicles. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's also uh, deleted scenes, a gag reel, and uh, a bunch of other special features on the Blu-ray. So uh, definitely check it out, guys. Uh, Blockers, very amusing movie. Uh, this movie did very well, but I do have one complaint about the movie, which is that uh, the movie's called Blockers, uh, presumably because they could not name it Cock Blockers. So their solution to that was to put a silhouette of a rooster next to blockers not in the blu-ray but like in all the marketing <laughs> it's a rooster and the word blockers right and uh that is just pretty rough guys that's we not, live in an emoji world dave not not great. get with it language is fluid dave yeah <laughs> right, that's blockers it's out on blu-ray july 3rd and uh check it out all right that's what i've been watching this week uh how about you davindra uh just want to throw a shout out to the sensate finale uh that special that they had uh it's it's amazing that this thing even exists yeah so, because, so there's two uh, seasons of, of sensei right yes there's two seasons and the special finale right so they, they did not agree yeah. to a netflix did not agree to a third season but they said mm-hmm. hey we're gonna do a, a finale movie well something. after after a big fan campaign yeah and basically i'm the sort of guy i always end up uh, becoming a fan of shows that die too early <laughs> and uh sensei is just like a weird ass show it's you know co-created by the Wachowskis and uh, J. Michael Straczynski, the Babylon Five guy, and it's just a weird premise. Um, it's about uh, if you think of like that moment, uh, the rave orgy moment in the Matrix uh, Reloaded. It's basically like that sort of concept as an entire series. It's about people who uh, are connected to eight other people and can see and feel and sense everything that those other people are doing. It's really a series about, uh, love in the interconnectedness of love. Um, it's just like, so I have a lot of fun with it because I really enjoy these characters. It's not a show that makes much sense. I think it's very basic in terms of like what they're trying to do and the fight between good and evil. Um, but compared to something like Westworld, and I also saw that finale, uh, I just am so invested in these characters and this show can really do anything and I'm kind of on board. So the finale, um, is a lot of what we've seen before. There is, uh, out of nowhere, some major Wachowski like action moments and people are dual, you know, wielding pistols all over the place. Um, but then there's a gorgeous wedding that just happens to take place you know, by the Eiffel Tower. Uh, there's, uh, of course, there's a massive orgy with all the characters, something that's happened multiple times. And it's just the sort of thing you come to expect from this show. So it's kind of funny. It's like they took Netflix's money and we're just like, oh, we're just going to do the crazy shit we've always done. And I really appreciate the show just for that. So there's that. And oh, yeah, I also saw the Westworld finale. And uh, I, I'm not a fan of this season. I, I have rarely seen a fan base turn on a show so quickly as with yeah. the Westworld season finale. I have not yeah. seen it yet. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, but no, it does, no spoilers. But yeah. It did seem like the, you know, the people behind Westworld, like their main goal was to like fuck with the fans who spend so much time, uh, you know, uh, talking about it and theorizing about the show. And it's weird to see. I, I feel like maybe a lot of energy was spent trying to outsmart the fans yep. rather than to connect a narrative that makes much sense or that you actually care about. You know, I'm fine with like post 
plot narratives, honestly. Like Sense8. You just talked about Sense8 five seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't doesn't make a lick of sense. But I care about those characters and I'm kinda on board with what's happening in that world. The greater themes of it make a lot of sense to me. Um Westworld just this season in particular feels more and more like just characters talking at each other and pontificating and philosophizing. Uh, so, you know, not a strong season. And even though I think it started pretty well, uh, there are some individual great episodes and the finale. I think like the entire show, the finale feels like it's too long. It ends like five to eight different times. It's almost like a return of the King situation where like, you just, you want this thing to end at some point. It just keeps going. And then it caps off with a stinger that I think will just leave people buzzing you know, for a while. Like, what does it mean? Uh, but of course, the Westworld people can't just let you sit with that and figure out what it means. No, they're they're doing like I know I know Joanna talked with uh, the director of the episode and they've done a couple other interviews too, just like literally explaining. Oh, this is what that means. And I think that was that was probably the final straw for me because like. You know, David Lynch has handled everything around uh, Twin Peaks perfectly. You know, people are asking him what it means. He's like, I don't know. He's never going to tell you what it means. He's not giving direct answers. And he honestly laughs at people when they ask him for that. It is weird to have a franchise that is all about mystery where they're literally just laying out, well, we, you may be confused for this like one minute sequence. So here's literally everything we're trying to say. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of this type of storytelling. I'll probably still watch uh, the third season of Westworld, but I, I hope they kind of figure out a way to make this narrative more compelling. Well, those are the season finales of Westworld and the series finale, I guess, of Sense8. Uh, yeah, that's on uh, exactly. Netflix and Westworld's on HBO. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? Uh, the wife and I watched all of season two of Goliath, which is a show that listeners of our show will remember that I really raved about season one. Did you guys ever end up watching any of Goliath season one? Yeah, I like the first season. I don't think I liked as much as you, Jeff, but it's it's solid. Like, it's yeah. a good procedural. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays a, a former hotshot lawyer in Los Angeles who sort of became an alcoholic and kind of ruined his life. And uh, in the first season... Goliath, the name Goliath is derived from the fact that he's there to sort of brought back out of semi-retirement to take this case against a gigantic corporation. And it's this Goliath of industry that he sort of has to try to take down. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the second season. So we were excited to watch the the first season, excuse me. And we were very excited to, to watch the second season. And the second season, very different, very different, darker, weirder. Uh, there is a, a character in the first season. Um, uh, William Hurt plays this character who is bizarre. He like hangs out in the dark and he's got weird facial scarring. And it's sort of this crazy over the top thing. And it felt a little bit like they went, we got to top that. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? Cause that we was gotta... pretty overboard. Yes, yeah. it was. It was, it was a show that was felt very grounded and real until William Hurt was in any scene. And then it was like, Oh, we're in this kind of, cartoon world <laughs> but i don't know i kind of liked it and william hurt's a good enough actor that he sort of made it work but it definitely felt like in season two they went well we're the show that has some weird shit in it so <laughs> let's let's weird it up um and there is uh, a character who's kink and i ain't one to kink shame but there's a character whose kink is 
pretty much the weirdest thing I've ever seen any mainstream show go go for. Um, and it's kind of unnecessary. It is weird. I'm not going to spoil anything. But that character is played by Mark Duplass, who is just phenomenal in this show. Um, my favorite standout character from the first uh, season is back, uh, Nina Arianda. Arianda uh, is it, just a phenomenal actress that I wasn't familiar with before the show. But she is so good. She plays a Patty Solace Papagian, a sort of um, um, Billy Bob Thornton's reluctant uh, co-lawyer in his sort of startup. Uh, she's phenomenal. So good in season two. She has some really cool things to do in this season as well. She's back. She's great. But uh, Mark Duplass, new in season two, is uh, wild. Uh, his character is wild. And he is so good at playing the smarmy, rich, entitled a-hole. Uh, and he does it with aplomb in season two. But I've buried the lead because um, I, I've re- I, uh, this, this season is wacky and crazy and wild and interesting. And ultimately, the ending is crazy. Again, it's only eight episodes. But I recommend watching all of this show just to get to episode seven of season two. Mm. Episode seven of season two is awesome. It's like there's this show going on, and the show is pretty out there, and but fun and interesting and has its ups and downs, but it's, it's a show. And then all of a sudden, episode seven started, and it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie broke out in the middle of the show. And just for this one episode, there's like this Quentin Tarantino movie like shoehorned into the middle of the show. And it is so bonkers and – it makes you feel so uneasy in such brilliant ways. Everybody needs to watch it. I really, I really loved it. I love my wife was like, what is even happening? I was like, I know, but this is amazing. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. And it, it ends in a way that most shows wouldn't have the guts to do. Uh, this season is, is pretty wacky. There are a lot of things that feel really rushed. There are, um, relationships that happen like multiple relationships that happen in this, in this, uh, season that I didn't buy at all. It's like, that just feels really forced and rushed. But ultimately I found the experience to be really worthwhile, especially for episode seven. And I just, I want you guys to watch this just so we can talk about that episode. Cause it's like, I admire it so much that they just went there. It's just like, what, what is this? So right. Goliath season two, it's on Amazon and uh, I recommend it. I liked it a lot. Very cool. Um, well, uh, let's let's do a bit of film news this week, guys, because SlashFilm.com was actually instrumental in breaking the story this week uh, about something that I believe we predicted here on the SlashFilmcast, I think it was like a year and a half ago, I want to say, like roughly at that time. Uh, around that time, we predicted that like the reason that all these movie theaters were so upset about MoviePass coming out at $10 a month is because they were going to release their own subscription plan. And, in fact, that's what happened this week. AMC Theaters unveiled a subscription service called uh, Premier A-List or Stubbs A-List, which is $20 per month. And for $20 per month, you can see, I think, three movies per week. And there's there's a few advantages over MoviePass and a few disadvantages. Advantage over MoviePass is uh, you can see 3D and IMAX movies. 
And most importantly, you can reserve tickets in advance. So you can kind of re- presumably reserve, reserve seats for the reserved seating ones. Um, and That's huge, yeah, by the way. Huge deal. Huge deal, in my opinion. Um, and potentially like could create some problems, depending on how people abuse that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But uh, you will have to verify your ID. You can't, like, reserve for other people. You have to verify when you get to the theater. Uh, disadvantages is $20 a month. So um, it's double what MoviePass costs. Uh, I will say uh, I went to see Jurassic World at, at my local MoviePlex. It was an AMC theater, and my ticket price was seventeen fifty. Right. So that's so nineteen ninety nine a month. I see Not one bad. movie a month, and I'm almost breaking even yeah, already. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, uh, so disadvantage is it costs more than MoviePass, but another another disadvantage is you can only see it. In, you can only use AMC theaters, right? So that's right, right. Uh, also a bit of a bummer. And um, I think it's uh, it's three movies per week. It sounds like you can bank movies if you don't see them all, but um, you can't like uh, you know. Uh, you, theoretically, you can't like see like six movies in a day or something crazy like that. Well, you, Movie you, Pass you, was one a day, right? It right. Was, uh, Movie yeah. Pass lets you go once a day, so you could theoretically see seven movies a week. Uh, so three is is a step down from that. But I don't know how many. But you could do multiple actually... in a day is a thing with uh, with mm-hmm. the AMC thing. So so it's kind of like these different trade offs. I gotta say, guys, I am really excited about this. Like, I'm probably it's gonna do it yeah. and like make a review, like shoot a video review of this because. Uh, first of all, AMC, when they announced it, they said at a shot at MoviePass, they called this sustainable pricing, right? That theoretically, that all, all the big wigs and the bean counters have done all the math and they said, like, okay, we can make money doing this. Um, and MoviePass, of course, came out with uh, their own PR about this. I think they tweeted, like, uh, that, you know, it's, it's like double the money and, you know, only 25% of the theaters in the United States and, you know, so on and so forth. And they, they're, they're like, thanks for making us look good, AMC. But right. I'm, I'm actually really excited about this because I, I have like a bunch of – I have probably like, I don't know, six AMC theaters near me. So it's not going to be a problem to get access to it. Well, that's um, the question, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many percentage of theaters there are in the country. It's is the one that you go to most often or that is convenient to you right. an AMC theater. Right. That's really the only question. And the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet uh, is I happen – because uh, I have an AMC theater – Literally across the street from my house, mm. I walk. I walked to see Jurassic World. Um, I have paid. Uh, I ponied up. I uh, did something I never do. Uh, I ponied up the fifteen bucks a year to be a Stubbs Premier member, mm. yep. which yeah. gets you all kinds yeah. of perks like no online ticketing fees, and all of those perks are baked into this nineteen ninety nine yep. a month thing. So you know. It, you're already so fifteen dollars a year. Obviously, you know nineteen ninety nine a month is more. But I think it's cool that they're sort of baking in all these other perks, and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to be excited about on this. If you mm-hmm. if you see most of your movies at AMC theaters, yeah. it, it's particularly good for people in cities. I think, like, yeah, I have so many AMC's to choose from. Honestly, a lot of my favorite theaters in New York are AMC's. Uh, there's AMC Village 7, which is a nice, like, real done theater with all recliner seats and everything. And nobody goes there. I can, I can, I can definitely just reserve seats for a big blockbuster on opening night, and there will always be seats because people go to this other, uh, this other theater, and AMC 68th Street. So, like, that's this is all good. And also today, um, Alamo announced that they're testing their own season pass type thing. So I'm really interested in seeing what happens with that too. Like if you have an element nearby, I, I certainly would watch a lot more movies there if they had something like this. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm I'm really uh, I'm, I'm I find myself like inordinately psyched about this. I think one of the issues mm-hmm. is I used to see uh, all the movies for free because you know I'm on the film critics list in, in Seattle area, and they've started scheduling a bunch of screenings during the day. You know, uh, like during work hours where I, I, you know, I work a full time job that's not right, doing right. this, and so it's like I just can't see a bunch of screenings anymore, uh, and I need to go pay for them, and that's completely fine. You know, obviously, um, uh, people who donate to the show help us to support you know us doing that, but um, in many ways, paying to see a movie is like a different and often better experience. Than seeing a film critic screening, you know, I agree. Um, yeah. Because you're seeing it with like a completely different type of person, um, and also like there's no restrictions on when you see a movie in advance. There's like restrictions on uh, when you can talk about it and how you can talk about it. That obviously does not apply when you see a public screening of a movie. So uh, I've started like really kind of appreciating both types of screenings, you know, film critic screenings and regular public screenings. And now like if I'm if this a list thing works out as good as it sounds which, again, remains to be seen, um, it's really going to tilt the balance in favor of just, like, waiting until the movie comes out and, you know, seeing it whenever. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and, uh, I, I mean, are you guys going to get this, or do you feel like you see enough movies in different theaters or through different means that you don't need to do it? Jeff, it I'll sounds like you're definitely going to get it, right? Yeah. I'm, t- I'm tempted because I, I literally an AMC is across the street from my house, and <laughs> the biggest thing that has stood in the way for MoviePass is the not applicable to the Dolby or yep. IMAX right. screens, which are in the IMAX multiplex across the street from my house. And I was, I enjoyed the fact that I could watch Jurassic World and other movies in that Dolby screen. If if if, if listeners haven't experienced that, it is quite something. The audio is ex- exquisite, but also you have these awesome um, mechanized reclinable chairs that like literally have footrests that pop up, and so. You know, you're you're like you're sitting in the couch at your house watching these these big wide seats. Mm-hmm. So I pony up the extra cash usually, which is why my ticket price was seventeen fifty, uh, to do that. But with Movie Pass, you wouldn't be able to you know buy those screenings, uh, and with this AMC Pass, you can. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm yeah. tempted. I'm certainly tempted. Jeff, in New York, those screenings are nearly thirty dollars. So enjoy Jeez, it. Wow. Enjoy it. Wow. Devendra, uh, you you gonna get this? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think I would. Like, uh, just I can't always make uh, press screenings either because yeah. you know life is busy. I like uh, going to early weekend morning screenings, and like I said, like a lot of my favorite theaters here in New York are AMC's, so it kind of all works out. Yeah. So we are uh, recording this on Monday night, June twenty fifth, the eve of the launch of Stubbs A List. I actually feel like. You know, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction that there's a possibility this is going to go so well for them that they won't be able to handle it. Like, oh yeah, they, yeah. they're going to be like inundated with you know people wanting to do this, and they are not they're not designed for something of this size and to to kind of execute operationally as something. I'm 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 curious if they're going to be able to to keep up with demand. So that's that is my predi- my sort of. Gentlemen's prediction on the eve of the launch of A List is that AMC will have some challenges keeping up, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's also like all these questions about how this impacts box office, right? So, for instance, like if you see a movie through AMC A List, like does that mean you paid for the ticket? You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. What what is that? Yeah. How do, what, what which right. tickets do they count towards the box office totals now? Um, and uh, I, I think a lot it's of people happening are saying, in. The- 
Yeah. Sorry. Uh, it's happening in the video game world too. You know, Microsoft does their Game Pass. Yeah. 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 Uh, and a lot, and um, you know, other companies are following suit. And you have this monthly fee, and it gives you access to all these games, which was fine because it was a lot of back catalog stuff. But now they're adding more sort of day and date new releases. Yeah. And you sort of wonder how. You know, it's fine if it's a Microsoft first party game where, you know, they are responsible for all the production cost of making it. But if you're trying to sign on these other games, how do you know what percentage of that monthly fee goes to which developer? You know, it's it's a kind of the same kind of problem. Like what how does this all work? You're paying a monthly fee. If you saw 20 movies, did each movie get right. 14 cents or what, you know, whatever yeah. it is? Uh, I think you know. I've heard this mentioned a couple times online that like movie. Pa- for, for, first of all, I don't think Movie Pass is going to be around that much longer. If, if I had to guess, uh, people disagree with me. But uh-huh. what's interesting too, by the way, is that Movie Pass found itself embroiled in the most random way because <laughs> uh, in, in controversy because they backed this movie called Gotti. Played, Great decision making. John over Travolta there. played Gotti, and the idea is that like they're they're putting they're placing bets on all these films. And then I heard they, that the critics had a hit out on that. Movie. <laughs> so <laughs> so this Gotti Twitter account, which you know seems like it's run by uh, I don't know some uh, trolls from Reddit. Uh, it, they tweeted out the following: Audiences loved Gotti, but critics don't want you to see it. The question is why? Trust the people and see it for yourself. And it's this insane trailer that they have uh, where it's, yeah, it's like audiences love Gotti. Critics put out the hit on Gotti. Uh, who would you trust more, yourself or a troll behind the keyboard? Hashtag MAGA, hashtag no collusion. So there's, there's a couple. <laughs> first of all, here, here's, here's what's awesome about this Gotti thing, okay? Number one is that uh, there, there is so their whole premise is audiences love this movie. Dan Merle over at ScreenJunkies.com has been like fighting with them on Twitter, but basically he did an analysis, like a very cursory analysis of uh, Rotten Tomato user ratings, and found that that Gotti's number of user ratings was basically like similar in terms of quantity to the number of user ratings that The Incredibles two got, or Incredibles two got, mm-hmm. right? Which is right. like a massive hit, massive success, right? So the idea that Gotti has as like maybe. There's as many fans of Gotti online as there are of Incredibles 2. But it's more likely that the numbers are just being manipulated somehow, right? <laughs> so, that's, so that's one thing. Second thing is th- they have this whole, like, critics versus uh, audiences kind of – they're setting it up. Like, you know, don't listen to the critics, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at their Twitter feed right now, go there right now, like every other tweet is a quote from a film critic saying how awesome Gotti is. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and what's amazing is there is this uh, tweet that from Entertainment Weekly. Here's the quote, guys. Quote, Travolta somehow manages to summon a ferocious and committed performance, end quote. Somehow manages. That's one of the uh-huh. best quotes I could find about the movie. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so movie passes wow. backing movies like Gaudi, and uh, it's probably not going to be around in a year. And, and backing it, those movies, by the way, in a way that feels shady, yeah, too, like no, totally. because it's taking attention away from other titles, and you know, manipulating the num- like Gotti's manipulating the numbers and uh, kind of going all out against critics. So they're they're kind of putting their thumb on the scale, and um, I, I just feel like AMC this this uh, A list thing they have guaranteed that this this pricing will be around for one year at least. Uh-huh. Um, so they have publicly said it will be around for one year. Movie Pass cannot make that guarantee. 
um, because right. they we have no idea. Like they've just announced surge pricing this week. I, I just think um, this A list thing is a safer bet, assuming it's not an operational disaster. Like assuming when you right. sign into the app and sign up, like it's not going to completely crash. I mean, they have the benefit of running, you know, a benefit program already. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big company that's dealt with all sorts of things around like, yeah, these yeah. digital transactions. Thousands so, of outlets around the country, you know, like yeah. I, I have a lot screens. more faith in them. What's funny is that movie pass, I think may go down in history as literally just uh, a pricing, uh, AB testing service. It, like, it was the, the it is Napster. telling these theaters. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's telling these theaters they didn't know what to price their subscription services at. Like they've been dwelling on this for a while, and they see what was successful for MoviePass at ten dollars. They see what wasn't successful for MoviePass at like thirty and forty dollars. So they were like, "Boom, twenty, we win. <laughs> twenty dollars. All the pricing yeah. consultants we hired are completely useless." Right. Uh, it's going to be twenty dollars. Yeah, I mean, uh, some people have said like MoviePass is like uh, Napster. You know, the business was terrible, but it paved <laughs> the way for the future of the industry. And well, the, I think that might the, might be true. There are countless examples of the little guy coming up with a great idea, and then the big companies going, "Huh, we could yeah. do that at scale that you couldn't possibly imagine yeah. because we have all the money and resources." Indeed. So, Indeed. Well, what's interesting about MoviePass, by the way, I interviewed um, the original CEO, um, Stacy Spikes. Really smart guy, really cool guy. He was kind of, um, I think he was pushed to another role as this new CEO came in. Yep. But what's interesting is that they developed, they patented this technology. Like with MoviePass, you get what's essentially um, like a, 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 well, it's like a credit card, but it's more like one of those Visa pay cards. Yeah. So it's like a pay card that, can be programmed and can be accessed in many different, um, you know, at many different uh, credit venues and things like that. So they they introduced some new technology that didn't exist before, like just being able to send a okay, this is a movie, you know, that you you can redeem at this theater, something like that. Like that didn't happen before. So I found that to be pretty interesting too. But AMC kind of doesn't need that, right? Because they don't yeah. have to worry about which movie theaters yeah. you go to because it's all Where the we're ones going. They we own. don't need cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And apparently, by the way, you do not need a card. You just need to be able to log into the app. Right. Um, so any any smartphone is going to be sufficient. Also, like I feel like the mar- I just feel like the marginal cost for AMC is not going to be very big. You know, I feel yeah. like for MoviePass, every time someone buys a ticket, they're losing money. Every time on MoviePass, right? Yeah. For AMC, if a person sees three movies or six movies, the, the AMC is still going to run the projection, you know, well, they on don't, that movie. They don't, right? AMC doesn't right. care because you're buying popcorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and every pass. time they go, they, you you buy more food and um and they right. make more money. So and that's how the, that's how movie theaters make money anyway is at the concession stand. So movie pass doesn't get any concession money. Yeah. So a- it works in AMC's favor big time yeah. because they just want you in the doors. They Indeed. don't really care about that stuff. And movie pass like actually has to have a sustainable business. Poor movie model. pass. Yeah. Poor yeah. movie yeah. pass. Yeah. It's so, funny because that was their original argument to theaters that you know our people will go in and just buy more concessions. Like that that should be a win for theaters. And I think they figured out, like, yeah, let's let's own the whole thing. Let's own it from top to bottom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before we get to our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, we want to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Thanks so much to Arnie M., who donated an extremely generous amount. Uh, thanks also to Cassandra S. from Australia for her donation. And thanks to new subscribers Jason Hodges, Jack Burnham, and Chris Smith 
for their donations. Uh, really appreciate all the uh, amounts you guys donate to us. It really helps us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show. If you want to contribute to the Slash Filmcast, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Again, thanks so much. You guys are awesome. Let's get to our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So, uh, what are you dating like an accountant now? Or Owen. Ventriloquist? Stop it. You love a dummy. This is not why we're here. You can blame me. Try to shame me. I know why we're here. A rescue op. Save the dinosaurs from an island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? Blue is alive. You raised her. <laughs> Do these animals deserve the same protections given to other species? Or should they just be left to die? These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful... They're going to be here after. That was from the trailer for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. When the island's dormant volcano begins roaring to life, Owen and Claire mount a campaign to rescue the remaining dinosaurs from this extinction-level event. Joining us today for our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom on the Slash Filmcast, uh, he is a prolific YouTuber, uh, and his latest uh, YouTube video is entitled uh, Jurassic Park's Sequel Problem. Patrick H. Willems, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Guys, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to have you back again. And I was really intrigued because you had made this uh, video essay that I, I really enjoyed, uh, Jurassic Park Sequel Problem. Can you just summarize this video essay uh, and, and maybe tease it so people will uh, go check it out? Yeah, of course. So I got thinking about this actually when the trailer for fallen kingdom came out several months back just thinking why have the jurassic park sequels never worked this is a giant franchise and only the first movie is is like generally considered good and so i went back through and tried to like get to the bottom of this and i really think jurassic park is kind of a single use premise i mean like so much (laughs) of the first movie is built around the wonder of seeing dinosaurs which cannot be replicated and uh and and What's key is in the first movie, the characters go to the island not knowing what's there. So they experience the, discovering the dinosaurs along with us. And then after that, in the sequels, they just find contrived reasons to send people back to the island. Right. And, uh, and it just and, – and all of the, the premises of the sequels are pretty much built off of these just stupid ideas. Like people stupidly going back to the island even though we know it's a bad idea and they're going to die. And so we, we miss this – the empathy that kind of drives the first movie and connects us to the characters. Yeah, I Patrick, think you- I think this is so spot on <laughs> and it is something that – I literally had the exact same thought process watching this sequel to a kind of a reboot ish. Um, and I, thinking through the exact same feelings of why, why doesn't it work? And I think you have ac- absolutely hit the nail on the head. And it seems like in every one of these movies, there's that moment where you see the Brontosaurus majestically walking slowly through the humans and they stare up in awe at the Brontosaurus and its majesty and its 
size and scale and it just seems so incredible. And it's like, well, you can't keep doing that because <laughs> we did that once. We got that once. And now it's like, yeah, I, I get I get new people are experiencing it, but we're not the new people. <laughs> we're the audience of the movie. And it just feels it feels like, it, 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 you know, playing that record over and over doesn't it doesn't elicit the same, uh, you know, the same groove every time. Yeah, pretty it sure it's a brachiosaurus, by the way, Jeff. I just, you know, pushing my glasses up my nose here. Mm. Uh, brachiosaurus. Is it, a, is it a brachiosaurus? Yeah, okay. I think that's the case. Uh, that's one but, of those things that people in the comments will point out. Yes, that's, mm. right, that's right. So I don't know my dinosaurs. My son is only uh, is only one and a half, so I'm, mm. I'm sure I'm going to get to dinosaur knowledge very soon. Well, I'm really glad that you're not teaching him his dinosaur knowledge yet. Is what I'm saying about that. No, I, I, uh, I'm imagining I'll be learning alongside him. Mm, uh, gotcha, we... gotcha. But yes, I, I really enjoyed Patrick's essay because it's it's about the empathy. Uh, if you can't relate with the characters or the protagonists in the film uh, and you think they're dumb and doing things that you would not possibly ever do, it's really hard to invest in the film. And that's For basically sure. what happens in Jurassic Park 2, Jurassic Park 3, and Jurassic yeah. World is... Well, uh, also, they're all guilty of trying to recreate the first movie. <laughs> I think that's the bigger thing, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have that fresh moment of Jurassic Park. None of them, I think, really pushed any ideas forward other than let's let's get the T-Rex to a city, you know, as soon as we can in the Lost World. Right. And, uh, we and saw even that, that was only out. like, you know, the last yeah. uh, 20, 30 minutes of the film. I think I think yep. you're right that the vast majority of these films are all about people going to an island and slowly dying one by one. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really uh, what most of these Jurassic Park films have been until this one. Right. I mean, this well, is. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too far to to our review of this movie, but. I think one of the things the, – one of the reasons that Jurassic World, the, the previous Jurassic World, uh, worked for me, at least uh, was fun for me, is because it did manage to capture the thing that I think worked about the first movie, which is the fantasy of it all working great for a while. Like the, the idea of a theme park of dinosaurs that you can go and visit that works like a Disneyland mixed with the biggest awesome zoo you can imagine where the coolest creatures that ever walk the earth are, are there is an amazing idea. And that ruined utopia, that, that thing, watching the coolest thing go horribly wrong is a very fun idea. And this movie that we're about to talk about doesn't care about any of that well, because we've we already went through it. But Jurassic World, the first Jurassic World, I had a lot of fun because, again, we get to see that cool – the idea of what would this fantasy theme park be like and see then it watching it – Yeah, yeah. Jeff, you just described You're... the premise of Jurassic Park 1. I mean it's like the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. No, no, it's like that's slightly more saying. functional. You know? that, that's what, what I'm saying is – the first one worked for me, and then Jurassic World worked for me, and all the other ones that didn't do any of that I see. I didn't see. work for me. And that's that's why I think Jurassic World worked for me is because it actually managed to capture the thing from the original Jurassic uh, Park, which right. was the fun about it is like, yeah, what Patrick is saying is all these people didn't know where they were going, and you get, welcome to Jurassic Park, and it's <laughs> awesome. Like it's I, I not- like how Jeff twisted this argument to make uh, Jurassic World seem good. Yeah, so, that's uh, this is great. I, I don't know this if I can great. forgive you for that one, Jeff. But <laughs> I think there's fu- the, there's fun in the, the 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 core fun that I have with this franchise has only happened twice, right. and that to me, the core fun is 
what is the utopia of what this would be like? And then watching that go wrong. Every right. other iteration of it is just a monster movie where the monsters happen to be dinosaurs, but could be anything. Patrick, Unless do, do you want to try more? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Patrick, do you want to leave a smackdown on Jurassic World, or, or do you want to just move on to Fallen Kingdom? What do you think? I mean, I feel like I'm gonna get to it, uh, <laughs> like like just as the episode goes on, because I think it's Jurassic, worth setting up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Jurassic World is my least favorite movie in the entire series. I think it's mm. the worst by far, mm. and I get what Jeff is saying. I do <laughs> understand the appeal of that notion, but part of my issue just like inherent with the movie is that it does the same things that the other two sequels did, but kind of worse because the movies, they already proved that a dinosaur theme park is a bad idea because it fails in the first movie. It fails in the second movie when they try to do it again. And the sort of the initial premise of Jurassic world is, Oh, but actually it can work. Yeah. If you just do it, let's just wait 20 years and (laughs) let's let everybody forget about how the park failed and also how this franchise failed. Let's just do it again. And everybody will forget, basically. And well, it'll right. be fun again. Ironically, that actually happened in real life. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. it's a meta-commentary, and it actually did yes. work again. Because it was a massive hit. <laughs> it was a massive success. Uh, we, should, we should say, by the way, that Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, currently tracking for third place in the summer movie wager uh, under The Incredibles, which looks like it's going to come in second. So uh, it, it did pretty well opening weekend, $151 million, mm-hmm. but significantly less well than... Jurassic World 1. Uh, just wanted to, to highlight that before we get to diving into the movie itself. So let's do it, Patrick. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, your reaction to this movie overall? Especially because like, you, you, you made this video essay about why Jurassic Park sequels are bad. You hated Jurassic mm-hmm. World. Uh, so what happened with your opinion on this movie? Yeah, so I went into this movie with expectations almost as low as they could possibly be. Uh, because I hate Jurassic World. I really do. I, I don't... I The only thing I like about Jurassic World is I think Jake Johnson's fun. And he isn't even in this movie. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so the one thing... And also, and you know, Trevor isn't directing this one, but he wrote it, so his fingerprints would still be all over it. And my one hope is that since J.A. Bayona is a better director than Colin Trevorrow, my hope was that he would at least elevate the material a little bit. And I was shocked when I left the theater having had a kind of a good time in that, let me clarify. I am not saying this is a good movie. (laughs) I would not argue that it is a good movie, but I do think, but it, it did a few things that either none of the sequels have done or that none of the sequels in a very long time have done. Uh, in that I, I think the movie is the first sequel to actually sort of advance the the concept mm. of Jurassic Park. It actually uh-huh. introduces new ideas and moves things forward rather than just being bad a bad like, new ideas. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I'm not, I, I would counter that bad with I would just say crazy new ideas. <laughs> and, and there's so, something to be said for crazy ideas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so this movie was way more just bug nuts insane than I expected it to be, which I enjoyed. And I feel like, look, this franchise has been tarnished for like the past 20 years. It is not like we've had a string of amazing movies and then this comes along and sours everything. This franchise is like, like there's way more bad movies than good movies. So it can't. So at this point, I'm just like, yeah, just make it nuts. Just make it really crazy and pulpy <laughs> and turn it into like like 
an insane little like you know sci-fi b movie because that's like the best thing it could be at this point and it also i've got to say like i think it's a genuinely well-directed film there are like bayona really elevates the material the opening scene alone i think is better than the entirety of jurassic world and uh and like when the movie ends like the final scene i'm sitting there in the theater cackling with glee just being like i can't believe they're they're doing this this is so silly but i'm enjoying it so that said script is a mess it's a mess (laughs) characters almost non-existent but i had more fun than i expected all right devinder hardo I'm, i'm really curious to hear what you think of this movie Yeah, you know, going to this, I think I felt just like Patrick. I didn't have much hope for this film. Um, The the, the sparkle of hope was Bayona because I love the orphanage. I love uh, the impossible. You know, I I love his style. He definitely has a he has a he has a really, you know, clear style. I think like he's somebody who knows what he's doing. And certainly more than uh, Trevor O does, like at least in terms of directorial style. And just going back to the original Jurassic World or ugh, the just Jurassic World, um, going back to that, like I remember being kind of lukewarm on it. And when we reviewed it, I certainly I think I said I had fun with it, too. I think that movie has, you know, I just have grown to dislike it more and more because it felt like, you know, uh, Trevor O is a guy who had, um, you know, probably Jurassic World action figures growing up. And he really probably played with those action figures. And that that's what the characters ended up being. You know, like uh, the characters we were introduced to feel like cookie cutter, no, you know, characters with nothing really behind them. And I was not really interested in seeing where their journey goes at all. Uh, this movie doesn't really fix that. But I think it, uh, it it makes up for it in having some great damn set pieces, like really well directed set pieces. Um, we'll talk about some of those in spoilers, but there's one that is... Um, there was a point in the movie where it's like, man, it'd be great if there was like just a nice long take right now, just to really get the tension going up. And right after, boom, we're in there. We're in it. We're in a really like claustrophobic scene. It just goes on and on. And I thought like, damn, this guy knows what he's doing. Like, it, and it feels good. It feels fitting. And the movie goes places um, outside of the island that I think is really interesting and really fun uh, on like a pulpy level for me. And it certainly ends in a really controversial way, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. But ultimately, I think like this movie is at least fun to watch. I think a lot like The Lost World, this is a well-directed bad movie. Mm. Now, I'll put it like that. All right. Uh, I, I just want to say real quickly, uh, I think the movie actually earns points for me for things that it doesn't do. Uh-huh. And one of the things it doesn't do is, as we've already discussed, spend all of its time on the island. Because um, that premise has already been seen four yeah. times. This movie before. says fuck the island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's great. great. That's great. Here's another thing it doesn't do. It doesn't completely bastardize John Williams' iconic score. Uh, they actually come <laughs> up with it, – it, it, it comes up with like a lot of new themes uh, that are really interesting. And yeah. I think like the uh, Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic World really used John Williams' themes like a, like a cudgel. You know, like, a, mm-hmm. like really in a, in a crass way that, that kind of – uh, further lower those films in my estimation. Right. Um, did it, did it, they use the slowed down version of the theme from the trailer? Is that in the movie at all, or is that just there? The there are thing? some. There are definitely some callbacks to, to mm-hmm. John Williams, but it, it feels way more subtle in this movie than it did in the previous films. And so, um, and I remember, like Patrick, that was something you called out in your your video essay. Was like in Jurassic World, uh, the first time you that hear part the drives Jurassic, me nuts. Yeah, when you yeah. hear the Jurassic Park yeah. theme. In Jurassic Park 1, when you hear the, the main theme, it's when you're first seeing the dinosaurs for the very first time. And it's like this beautiful moment of 
awe and wonder and discovery. And in Jurassic World, the first time you hear the theme is when it re- like if there's an establishing shot of the park. And it's like yeah. somehow, you know, wonder and awe at nature has been replaced with this crass commercialization. And I don't think the movie was smart enough to be actually making a commentary on it by using that. Theme. Yeah, it's all um, it's all member berries. I will say this too: like this movie understands tension and drama in a way that Jurassic World certainly didn't. And uh, there, there, there's just so much fun. There, there's a lot of fun things going on in this movie. And yeah, can't wait to dive more into it. Jeff Kanata, take us through your thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say uh, <laughs> if there's anybody out there who has not seen The Orphanage yeah. or The Impossible, uh, watch those, especially The Orphanage. I think The Orphanage, I was going to say uh, my one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10 years, except I just noted uh, more than 10 years old. So yeah. time yeah. flies. Um, <laughs> was disappointed by a Monster Calls. Uh, I know a lot of people like that movie. I did not care for it. Uh, but man, The Orphanage, so good. So. Uh, this movie, um, I don't understand how you guys can like it. I think there is one set piece in this movie that is good. And it's the one you're referencing Davindra. And we'll talk about it in detail and spoilers. Uh, that is, I, I don't, I feel like the movie doesn't even care to entertain me. It like, it's not even attempting to do anything novel or interesting other than that one set piece, which is phenomenal. Um, but it comes pretty early on and the movie never lives up to it again. It gets mired in this insane, just moronic weirdness <laughs> that uh, never entertained me at all. Um, I, I just felt like the movie was insulting my intelligence. You're right. It's devoid of, of character. Chris Pratt is just inherently charming and you just can't help but like the guy he's just he just brings charm and i loved that in the first jurassic world and i would describe jurassic world the way you guys are describing this movie which is a a not very good not very well written film uh that i had a lot of fun with and i had a lot of fun because of the pure geometry and design of the park like the idea of this park at a scale that only today's technology can present to us was fun. I, I liked just thinking through it and all the detail that you get to see and watching all of that chaos erupt in that big mass environment, right? This movie, it, it first of all, first of all, let me just say this. And this is a, a spoiler for the premise of this movie. Okay, so it's not really a spoiler for what happens, but it's a pr- the premise of this movie is uh, there's a volcano that's going to destroy the island. And so we got to get the uh, the dinosaurs off of it. If none of the events of the first Jurassic World happened, Jurassic World was still a – this is three years after the grand opening of Jurassic World. And the entire island upon which this multi-billion dollar park was built was going to explode? <laughs> That's I mean, what we're led to believe? It's poor planning. It's poor planning. That is – Poor planning. Yeah, it's very stupid. Uh, these are people who built a island uh, park full of dinosaurs, Jeff. They're not exactly smart. Yeah, let's yeah. build that multi-billion-dollar park <laughs> on an active volcano. Now, well, based on some life. of the, well, okay, no, I want to, I, I have I a comment on the prices that I'll make later. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> Let me just say, I know that there's a lot of people in Hawaii who are dealing yeah. with volcanoes, so I don't want to make light of it. But people it did do live near volcanoes. It's it struck it's me great. as retconning in the stupidest possible way. Um, 
So just there is. I is, like that. That's what you're taking issue with. Jeff. Well, I'm, no, I'm just no, the stuff we're gonna. That's just the pure premise of the movie. Is like, uh-huh. oh, it was all gonna fail anyway. Everybody, don't you know? It's like it's the stupidest <laughs> thing. And the fact that you know, there's this weird. It wraps itself in this odd animal rights thing mm-hmm. that never makes any damn sense if you've ever Especially watched. Especially for those characters too, if you think about it. But yeah. Yes, it is, and it it bothers me no end that we have heroified. Uh, the certain of the dinosaurs uh, that, that there's one that's special and it's it's like Planet of the Apes sing the dinosaur. It's weird. Um, I hate the I hate the concept and I hated it in the first Jurassic World uh, that there's something special about Chris Pratt where he's okay to just like talk to him and and, be, <laughs> and they're like we've we've what's what's anthropomorphized but dog canine promorphized you know we've we've turned (laughs) dinosaurs into like adorable puppies Um, these these are genetically engineered animals and it's like if we can accept that we're bringing back dinosaurs from dna left in amber (laughs) i you know the idea that we can you know manipulate the dna a little to make them more docile and more easier to handle i i accepted that like i I think there's enough to say like maybe we should do something about these dinosaurs like let's let's control them a little yeah this actually would be way less in this movie than in the last movie where it drove like uh i we're skipping ahead a little bit but i i could not stand the the chris pratt's relationship with blue the velociraptor and i thought it did not work at all in the last Uh one and in this one i still don't really care about it but i think they do a little bit of work to make it functional because we get we get some earlier shots too of their relationship right i don't think we got before no we don't uh in the last one they just say oh this is blue and he's his friend and we're (laughs) supposed to care when blue triumphantly or heroically charges in in the climax of jurassic world and in this yeah i mean you you see him them like some like old footage of of them like you know when blue was a baby and again i don't really care but i I think like that it does help like when it like when it pays off in the end in a way it didn't Mm -hmm. in the last one also why is there always a uh, Deus Rex Machina happening all the time. Nice. Tyrannosaurus Rex. We I understand at the end of the first Jurassic Park, Tyrannosaurus Rex like saved the day, and it became this meme that infested the rest of the series. That Tyrannosaurus. I mean, literally, like in the first fifteen minutes yeah. of this movie, Tyrannosaurus Rex is like, "I got this one, guys. No worries." <laughs> it's the Godzilla of this franchise. Something we both fear, and it will also protect us when right. it when in the need arises. Moment of need. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but the, the biggest sins this movie, uh, I think. Uh, commits are it, it, it is com- it's completely devoid of any uh things are going great and now we watch the the chaos in the utopia which i i find to be the most fun part of this franchise it's devoid of that completely it's not doing any of that and i get it it's a sequel we we're starting from a different place but it just there's no fun in where we start in this movie and it, i think it just completely fails to entertain it there the ultimate uh i mean we'll, we'll get to the end but the ultimate solution to the problem it just feels so tired and obvious and uh, so much so much of the action set pieces Davinci, you said there are many that are great i couldn't tell you a second one i, I think there's that <laughs> one that we'll talk about but the movie just is not entertaining for as expensive and bombastic and long as it is it just is not entertaining to me. So I, I, I really did not like it. Jeff, right there with you. I think this movie is 
not only a cinematic disaster, but a disgrace to the memory of the first film. I mean, I, at this point, I have kind of given up on holding on to <laughs> you know any sort of reverence that I had for Jurassic Park. I watched that movie again recently, and it's still, in my opinion, a uh, really awesome film although some people think it's like lower tier spielberg which i would i don't understand i think uh, i think it does combine people. like uh like patrick said like this this awe and reverence of nature with this kind of terror that i think is is makes it deeper than merely a well-executed genre piece uh but in terms of you know at, at this point like my my expectations have been so eroded away uh as to what i want from a Jurassic park film and this movie I mean, it is it is really bad. I think there is, like you guys said, the script is is a mess. Um, the characters are complete ciphers. Like there's there's not a single memorable character, and there is absolutely no chemistry between the leads, in my opinion. Like uh, between sure. Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt's characters, it just. Um, uh, Anything we learned about those characters, like a huge portions of that seem to have been discarded between last film and this film. Uh, The entire premise is absolutely ludicrous. This idea that they're going to this island to save the dinosaurs, like it's on its face a extremely risky activity that can only mean ruination for mankind if they succeed. And uh, yet we are supposed to be rooting for these characters. Uh, And then, you know, things just get extremely dumb from there like thing things happen uh that that feel like they occur because the script calls from them not because they're organic to the plot um so i think things just went downhill once they got to the island which is about 10 minutes into the film so but but no appreciation for the set pieces or like the there's there's some great evocative imagery yeah i'm thinking like a shot of, of a raptor's claw just creeping up on the little girl you know hiding in bed like it's it may not make complete sense, but I think <laughs> on a, on a certain level, like that imagery works. Like this movie understands at least like the uh, you know the uh, you know uh, dramatic consequences too. Like the uh, the people who should get eaten get eaten. And remember, <laughs> remember Jurassic World where this uh, this assistant whose only uh, her only crime was being kind of distracted and not taking care of kids is ripped like taken and ripped limb from limb for no reason by pterodactyls. And the uh, movie so revels in that for like fun. fifteen seconds. It's very fun though. It is no, a very it's fun that, it's terrible, Jeff. That's it's terrible. That like a fall, you, solid minute. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It, it's the it worst. Insane. And this movie at least understands, like, okay, the, the bad people, they're going to get eaten because they're bad. Okay. Like, it's, yeah. it's very basic, but I appreciate that at least. It understands that. It, it, I think the decisions made are so stupid. And we'll, we'll get yes. into it in spoilers, but yeah, it just, right. every decision feels is the really, worst one. Yeah. It's the worst thing you could do. Everything is the worst thing you could do in that scenario. <laughs> Nobody could see how this could go wrong. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's mind-boggling how dumb it is. Like, the characters behave in completely unrealistic ways. So, let's dive into it, shall we? Let's get into the spoilers for this movie. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom spoilers, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it, because of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret you want to be fooled. Uh, the, the only credit I will give this movie, and, and this is a very me thing, but maybe I don't know if you guys agree with this. I love how it 
<laughs> plays with the title at the very end of the movie. Oh boy! I love that. I love that. I think Wait, when Goldblum like, says it, I hate this. No, that mm. that it's setting up a third film that <laughs> is a different kind of Jurassic World. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. I kind of, I kind of give you a high five. Like, I hated all this experience, but at that moment, I was like, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of got to give you a high five. On I that saw one. this movie in Taiwan, and I felt like even there, the school children I was watching it with uh, also groaned. Like, <laughs> I just felt it. Even third graders understood it was painful and cringeworthy. <laughs> now though. we live. Now we live in a Jurassic world. Mm. I'm, I'm <laughs> just sad nobody was like, "This truly is a fallen kingdom." And that's what I was waiting for. Uh, okay, no to, one says those words. To, yeah. yeah. To the films. Okay, here's an interpretation I've been hearing uh, repeatedly over the past past few days that I didn't even consider because I don't give the film any credit whatsoever. But several people have said that. Like I, I think Walter Chaw said, consider that the fallen kingdom might in fact be the United States of America. And the, there, there are a bunch of um, subtle and overt political references throughout the course of the film. Uh-huh. Uh, let me list a few of them for you. One of them is um, that uh, during a news crawl, uh, it says something like uh, the president of the United States doesn't believe that dinosaurs actually exist. So it's kind of like a reference to uh, our, our anti-fact uh, administration. Yeah. There is a uh, uh, what, what do you call it? the, the evil dude says like dinosaurs. nasty woman calls one of the characters a nasty yeah. woman. You know, yeah. which nasty is woman. like yeah. a, a reference to uh, I think Donald Trump at the debates. Can and, I actually uh, related? Can I point out my my biggest issue with the entire movie? Please, like by far. So Toby Jones's character yes. is styled very similarly to Donald Trump yes. with very Trump-esque hair. And we don't see him get eaten. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I we was, should get one on-screen, like, dinosaur-eating human scene, it mm. should be him. Mm. And yeah. he's got his hair flopping around, and he gets eaten off-screen. Yeah. And I yeah. was bummed about that. I yeah. did want to see just, like, hair on the ground. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people also speculate, like, there's a scene where, like, the Indominus Rex is revealed, and he's, like, all backlit, and some people have compared that to Trump's appearance at the RNC, and I, I don't, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, people have also pointed out that uh, one of the arms dealers is from Slovenia, which feels yeah. like a kind of random country, except uh, it's the country that Melania Trump is from. Uh, so <laughs> I, there's all these kind of, like, little references. You know, also, another thing, by the way, Jeff Goldblum says, like, we've our country's been over, overrun by, like, megalomania, which yeah. doesn't factor into the movie at all. So why would he say that unless it's a reference to something else? Anyway, I, I, I present this evidence, and you guys can can take with it and do with it what you will. <laughs> Patrick, did you did any of the political sort of references resonate with you? Um, Not really. I mean, like... Yeah. I noticed some of them like there was there's the nasty woman line. Uh, there's, you know, uh, the, the just appearance of Toby Jones's character. But mm-hmm. I mean, beyond that, it didn't strike me that there was a, a whole lot. I mean, th- this did not strike me as like a political allegory. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's what it's really about. I, I do think there is some kind of interesting thematic stuff going on, but I don't think it's political. Yeah. Yeah. It's also I, I think like a it's railing against extreme capitalism in a way that the the movies always have, you know, when yeah. has a billionaire yeah. not let our main characters down in these movies? <laughs> yeah. you right. know? Like, that's it. How, how do you just trust this guy who's helping <laughs> out this it, other billionaire? Come on. One, one of the things and I'll probably talk more because I, I have a lot to say about this part, but I'll talk more about it mm-hmm. later. But I did find it interesting that this is the first time that we have r- truly overtly evil human characters. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. like. 
w- there were some sort of bad guys. There's like, what is it in the Lost World? Is it Hammond's son or his nephew who wants to open the new Jurassic Park in San Diego? And he's greedy and he gets eaten mm-hmm. at the end. But this is one thing that really surprised me about this. It's the first movie in the entire series where there's, where a human murders another human. Right, right. Yeah, this movie right. has a, a, a much lower opinion of humanity than I feel like the other ones did. And uh, and there and the way it ends, because we're in spoilers now. Yep, we can talk about spoilers. the spoilers. Go ahead. Great. And I, I, there was an int- a, a really good article, I think it was by Alison Wilmore from earlier this week, about how this movie fits in with this recent kind of wave of, of movies and TV shows about sort of the end of humanity and yeah, and uh, yeah. sympathizing with uh you know whether it's the apes or the robots or or whatever but uh the force that is going to sort of take over or wipe out humanity and uh and it struck me as just one of the more one of the interest things that I yeah I think this is like genuinely interesting and one of the interesting things the movie did was that it presented like actually evil just despicable human characters uh far beyond anything that had previously shown up in the in the movie, and not only did they get eaten, but they were sort of representative of a lot of humanity. And and because and it's, I felt like the the ending of the movie is kind of a judgment of humanity itself, not just a few bad guys like mm. in in the Lost World. Well, yeah, the common theme of all those those movies that you're referencing, that sort of wave of of the, the zeitgeist that's happening with uh, uh, you know these common. Uh, next step of evolution kind of films is that we deserve what we get as humans, you know, and I think that's consistent here too, is, uh, you know, we made our bed, we're awful. Maybe the next thing will be better. (laughs) Yeah. And, but that wasn't present in the previous movies In the previous ones. It was like, Oh, we made a mistake. This is in this one. It's actually kind of saying, Oh, we're bad. Right. Yeah, like, right. Th- th- that's why I kind of like I kind of like the fact that they brought back Goldblum for this movie because everything he was warning about in the first movie happened multiple times and now he's like guys we're doomed <laughs> and uh, you might as well just deal with it. I re- I wish he was in the movie more because it's kind of hilarious how little he's in it. He's in but the movie for I, I, I believe about one minute. I'm not. Yeah. Even, that's not an exaggeration. He's I doing would, press yeah. for this movie and he yeah. did one day of shooting. I would on. love to know how much he got to be in this movie because I bet <laughs> yeah. it is absurd in the millions mm-hmm. in the millions yeah um so let's go a little bit more in chronological order i'm not going to summarize the whole plot but i do want to go over a few things starting near the beginning of this film first of all as we alluded to uh i feel like claire you know going from um corporate opportunist to now mm-hmm. rooting for like dino preservation felt kind of like a stretch to me did you guys yeah like did that make sense to you did that no, definitely not at all. <laughs> because well, a... she was barely a character in the first movie right yeah. she was just businesswoman she was very yeah. she was very busy and she was a busy busy businesswoman and that was her job and then you know she she turned into an action hero uh together with chris pratt so there was and nothing she learned to that, that being character. a mom is okay yeah, yeah she learns <laughs> we that. also learns we they make a big point to show us that she's wearing appropriate footwear this mm, time yeah. yeah well that's good yeah. that's good there, there um, is that so so then they retcon in this this character of uh, Lockwood, the other billionaire who helped John Hammond build the park, it, did, uh-huh. did, did the yeah, we did, he of just Lockwood never ever he come just up never before? came up before. Yeah, he just, just, it's just, just like seems like a pretty important character to have never it, come up in any. Did you not film. hear about his, You never story. hear about his partner. You just maybe just didn't ask. You <laughs> just uh, maybe should have asked about whether or not he had partners before. But you but, know they could have uh, talk about like a missed potential. By the way, like that that should have been like a big reveal. It's not just Hammond. 
Right. There was someone else, something else. And this movie drops the ball. The script really drops the ball on that. And I guess I'm not surprised. Before we go too deep into this, though, by the way, we're skipping the whole opening sequence. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I I, th- I think that that was pretty well done. Yeah. I agreed. think that was like a nice because you remember if you, where if, if you're on the scary island and people are emphatically <laughs> talking to you and you're just like, oh, I can't. Guys, I can't hear you. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you have some urgency about understanding what the, you know where you are. You are I, aware of what this no, island is. Most definitely. I thought yeah. you were going to say, Jeff, that if you're on the scary island and someone says, don't worry, nothing can hurt you now, uh, that you're definitely yeah. going to be killed. No, if, you, uh, if your buddies are on the helicopter screaming at you and, and waving their arms, you don't go, huh? Guys, the the comms are down. I can't yeah. calmly. I, ca- I calmly can't hear what you're saying. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. I think of every movie like this, by the way. But uh, the the whole point of this franchise, right, is that our hubris as humans uh, will be our undoing. And I think the movie kind of uh, fulfilled all that. But that opening sequence, just as a as a like scary sequence where like uh, dinosaurs could be in the water, they could be somewhere. I think it's a pretty well done thing. I think that's a better set piece than anything in the first movie. Yeah, and um, we'll 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 mention some of the other set pieces. But Jeff, there are many in this movie, and but that's one it, of them. Doesn't yeah. it feel? It felt to me like the whole thing was a setup. I mean, I understand it's a callback to the last movie, but right. it also felt like it was a setup for this big sea monster that never pays off. I'm scene. pretty sure yeah. in our review of the of uh, the last movie, we complained about the obviousness. Of setting up a monster early on and then having it pay off in the end, which they did do. So I, 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 I'm fine I agree with Devendra. It's just like this idea that hey, like there's still crazy stuff going on on this island and the dinosaurs could be everywhere. I think yeah. I think this scene does a good job of establishing that. It's very atmospheric and uh, and probably you know the best scene in the movie in my opinion. I, I think back to the first scene of Jurassic Park, right, where they're on the boat, right, and there's something in a cage and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. It didn't quite evoke that, but it was it was close. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, just what struck me about this scene, and well, first of all, I should mention that a key thing to me about the Jurassic Park movies is that they are at their best when it's nighttime and raining. Yeah, and <laughs> yes. it's never mm-hmm. raining in Jurassic World. Major yeah. problem. But like, as in like T Rex attack, uh, cliff scene in the Lost World. It's yeah. th- like these are key signifiers of the best scenes. And so the movie begins, and it's nighttime and raining. I'm like, okay, I'm already. In, but uh, but like um, immediately you like the the level of craft Bayona is bringing is so much higher than what Trevorrow had. The way he has these like you know flashes of lightning illuminate the T Rex for like a mm-hmm. split second, yeah. and it, it it there's actual suspense, and and it generates fear in a way that I you know the last movie didn't. I don't think. Jurassic Park three really does, and uh, there's there's th- that great little wide shot of the people in the little submarine when their lights kind of they go off, and you just see the giant aquatic dinosaur mm-hmm. behind them, and the way like the the action and and horror beats through that sequence. Yeah, I the just, dang- I w- dangling off the rope ladder as well. You know that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I just think you it's, think it's, you're safe and you're not. Huh? <laughs> right. I, I think that's some some like well, look, we go to see these movies to be excited and watch people get eaten by dinosaurs, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And that scene was exactly what I want from these movies. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think, and then you know, uh, after that, we we have a scene with. Uh, Claire calling a congresswoman and, and saying, like, hey, <laughs> change the laws. And she's like, yeah, I, I got it. I did it, guys. Uh, Actually, I mean, can, I, can I, um, <laughs> not to, like, monopolize this, but can okay. I just mention the bizarre sequencing of the first, like, three scenes Please. of this movie? Oh, Please. man. Yeah. Okay, because so our protagonist, Claire, she is trying to save the dinosaurs, and we're supposed to be on her side, right? Yeah, right. And so the first scene of this movie 
it shows us dinosaurs as horrifying monsters. Yes. <laughs> and the second scene in the movie, we have Jeff Goldblum, who has been the voice of reason <laughs> yes, through yes. the series, saying, you know, we should let the volcano kill them. That's what we should do. And <laughs> yeah. Jeff Goldblum's always right. And so after yeah. seeing like how horrifying they were, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, we should. And then we meet our hero who says, no, let's save the dinosaurs. I had the and, same thought. This is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she, and I've got to say, her reason is far less compelling than uh, than the reasons of the previous two scenes. It's all yeah. about guilt. She just feels really bad for screwing over all these dinosaurs being, I uh, for the I part she that. designed. I carried that with me through the whole beginning of this movie. It's just I kept waiting for someone yeah. to point out to her what a horrible idea that is. Yeah. It should be Chris Pratt's character who's like, right. this is your fault. What are you doing? <laughs> like, literally, are you, did you learn nothing from your last job? Why isn't this whole movie like a legal drama about people <laughs> suing her for all the deaths she caused in the last one? That's the yeah. next movie when they're like, you you let loose what in this world? Yeah. It's, so uh, it's It's baffling that the movie, the movie's position is that we are supposed to be advocates for the mon- the terrifying death monsters that we constantly have seen over the course of many films mm-hmm. be a huge mistake that humanity made. We are now supposed to feel for them because one kind of behaves like a puppy. <laughs> a very yeah. smart puppy. I, yeah, I yeah. agree that it is really, really poorly set up. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you can't get emotionally invested at the beginning of this film when they go on this quest, it's going to be hard to get invested later. It's rough. Um, it's rough. And yeah. and then we cut to Chris Pratt doing a blue collar manly thing, <laughs> so which manly. Uh, wasn't he fixing a house in, yeah. the, in Jurassic World, too? Like, he's just motorcycle. Yeah. Motorcycle always always hammering one, yeah. something. Gotta, gotta, gotta have his hands dirty. <laughs> um, the first word he said in that movie um, or in this movie uh, made all the kids in my audience erupt in laughter. And the kids really seem to like Chris Pratt. That's what I took away from watching this movie in Taiwan. What was the the first word he said? Do you remember? Or I forget. No, it was like, Oh hell. It was something like (laughs) that. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, And they were, they were just like loving all of it. I love that this movie, it at least doesn't lean into the stupidity of the like super machismo they were building into that character from the first one. Like remember their, their whole first interaction in Jurassic world was literally just about sex. Like it was, it was a teenage <laughs> yeah, sex joke basically. Yeah. I do agree with you, Devendra, that the, the set piece with the erupting volcano yes. running down the mountain into the water and then the, brilliantly executed escape from the bubble water Mm -hmm. with Pratt, like having to go up and get more air and come back down and trying different things and it not working. And this impossibly magical camera that seems to take up no space whatsoever. Like the camera itself has no dimensions. It just is inside this claustrophobic space with it. That sequence is spectacular. It is very well done. But, I, but never matched again in the movie, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I also don't worry, Jeff. We'll get there. <laughs> I, I I I don't know. I didn't I didn't find anything yeah. else in the film. Yeah. That but I, I, I was like. thinking, like as they were getting away from the volcano thing. Well, by by the way, before they even get to that, right? What was the so obviously the security guy, like the tough, uh, you know, security guys, double cross them because oh, they Ted didn't Levine? see that coming. Yeah, Ted Levine's yeah, yeah, character. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, they've got Buffalo Bill in there. That was great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty great. But double crosses him and. There was this weird, there must be like something chopped up in the editing, but like Chris Pratt gets knocked out and he wakes up and like, we don't have a sense that there's lava around him, but he kind of gets up and there's lava right behind him. (laughs) And it's weird how there's no, like, there's no setup to that. There's no like eruption 
uh, he n- recognizes the lava and he starts kind of moving away. And then we get eruptions. But it's weird where the climactic moment or one of the major like you know set pieces of this movie is a volcano erupting, and it just it just kind of starts happening with no signal. Like oh, yeah, there's lava y- now. There's no like loved, moment. There's no like l- moment in the movie when it's like erupting and and you're like oh my gosh we got to get the f out of here. Now we run. If yeah. both of these movies were smashed into one and Jurassic World was working great until a volcano erupted, which let loose the dinosaurs. Yes, that would be an amazing movie. Yeah, uh, I, which I think would, this movie mainly shows that how unnecessary Jurassic World was. Like you could just have <laughs> yeah. this movie. Right. Really. If like the, and actually if, the. The opening if they had is just built it here, and the volcano went off. Yeah. Things would have been bad. It wouldn't have had. You didn't have to worry about the Indominus Rex and all that garbage <laughs> from the first movie. It could have just been like, we really should have checked to see if there was an active volcano before we invested. Yeah, we thought it was cool because uh, Hawaii. Like uh, everyone's still cool with Hawaii. Like it's still working. Like uh, let's do that. But yeah, that whole set piece as they were running away. Um, cause it was in, they were just like running at first and then they get in the bubble thing. And at some point along that, I was like, man, this should just be one take. Cause that would be sweet. That would just like, <laughs> look awesome. Why did and the then, bubble thing work though? Why was it operational? I think it just got knocked down. I think that was it. They went into it for protection. And from what I remember, it just got knocked down, but I just saw this movie worked. a couple weeks ago. Like they didn't explain, like there was no moment of like, Oh my right. God, it works. It was just like, we're in this now. And now, it, now it runs. Yeah, I, think, no, I, think, I think it was just like, yeah, I think it was just like, uh, it, it was, it was like a car in neutral that they pushed down the hill. Oh, yeah, it was just yeah. rolling like a ball, I guess. It's, yeah, it's a ball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, I thought it was, so, I thought they were operating it. That whole sequence is great. I'm glad we can all see that at least I wish, but like, like we're saying, right. The setup to it, wasn't that great like it's it's weird how this movie has like these moments of really ingenious directing i think and then the the everything in between the connective tissue is not good well let's also yeah. let's also rewind a little bit guys so mm-hmm. we talked about how lockwood was uh retconned into this thing right and um uh and he also has like this assistant eli mills played by Rafe spall i think right uh mm-hmm. which again as as was uh, as I spoke in a recent episode of the podcast, huh? Two characters where the storyline only calls for one. I wonder what's going on there. You know, like yeah. you, do, you don't yeah. need that to be two characters unless one of them is going to betray the other one. Yeah. Um, so really happened again. Happened again. Uh, but I, I, I agree that uh, the island and all that stuff leading leading up to them getting off of it is actually like some of it's pretty well done. Um, and then there is this moment that everyone has been talking about where they were actually very moved by the film. Uh, where yeah. you see like the brachiosaur in the in the smoke about to get consumed, oh, and man. it's like, oh, it's like a pet. It's like a pet that's it's about like to die. Um, I think uh, that that was a great inversion of the uh, you know the oh man, look at brachiosaurs for the first time. Right. Uh, right. We although it, we also it, get that. <laughs> we also yeah. get that. No, moment, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But we get that because the emotional gut punch of seeing that beautiful thing die slowly in fire would not be there. <laughs> so I actually think that was that was a smart move. Um, yeah, and yeah, th- that broke my heart a little. I'm I'm with you on that. It it, it is a really striking image, and uh, and I do think one kind of interesting thing about this movie that I, I think that it does that the other ones, well, that the other sequels don't really do, is it treats the dinosaurs a bit more like animals mm-hmm. than. Then, I mean, in, yeah. in the other sequels, they didn't choose animals. to exist, right? They, They're they, just here. Right. They specifically and, call them animals, which I mm-hmm. thought was interesting. They didn't call them creatures or anything. They, they specifically said these animals have to be saved or whatever. 
Yeah, because I, I'm thinking back to in Jurassic World when the Indominus Rex goes on, it just becomes like a dinosaur serial killer and just starts murdering <laughs> dinosaurs, which yeah. never made sense to me. Dino, and, don't bite dino. Come on. Right. Yeah, and and it is weird because we see a bunch of dead like brachiosaurs there, but it doesn't seem sad. I mean, like I, I never feel for the animals there, right, right. and here there seems to be actual sympathy for the dinosaurs in a way that they, these are animals and they're suffering. Like when they're just falling off the cliff because they don't know what else to do but run away, and uh, and at the, and I think that you know that also kind of works in the third act when you get to the treatment of the the dinosaurs I, just in general i think the dinosaurs are are treated more interestingly in this movie than any of them since the first one yeah, yeah. in terms of like guys uh, like as sympathetic animals and also just in the, the the power and terror uh inherent in them and and yeah i like you know i, I wasn't crying or anything but when the the ship is pulling away and you see the brachiosaur you know, like breathing yeah. its last breaths. I thought that was that was effective I stuff. Felt, I felt like a flashback to my you know childhood self watching Jurassic Park for the first time and just thinking how beautiful these things are. Like it's it is, it's a it's a wonderful evocative image and also in the entire island is on fire too. So it's like you know burning your nostalgia for the Jurassic <laughs> Park island at the same time. Yeah. I'm telling yeah. you guys right now, they can turn this whole franchise around if the third movie. We work up to like a, a nouveau Flintstones where <laughs> dinosaurs and humans working together. Dinosaur is your washing machine. Dinosaur <laughs> is your car going to work. I mean, this That's, is just it's a Jurassic World, everybody. Nice. Did you did you guys ever read the Dinotopia books? No. Are you familiar what? with those? Yeah, it's no. like it's like uh, dinosaurs in the in the with mixed with humans, basically, right? Yeah, this these were these uh these il- these like beautifully painted illustrated children's books yeah, that I enjoyed uh, a lot when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, I remember this. Wow. And uh, Jeff, you should uh, when your your kid gets a little bit older, in, you know, introduce him to this. It's good yeah. stuff. But there are these these books. It's set in like the eighteen hundreds, I think, about a couple people who, uh, like cr- their ship crashes and they wash up on this the shore of this island, and it's this whole civilization where dinosaurs like live in harmony with humans, and they have for hundreds of years, and uh, and it's really. Cool, yeah. fun. like that is the utopia that, Put that a you want. Put on that bad boy. Saddle yeah. him up. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, honestly, you know, just like cancel Jurassic World three, just make mm-hmm. a Dinotopia movie. Mm-hmm. I think it would be you way just better. Make Jurassic World into that. They're now in. They're in the world. They're hanging out. If all we got to do is get Pratt to just give the clickers to everybody, <laughs> we got click, 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 and now it's a dinosaur is <laughs> your washing machine. It's weird how we're following the territory of like the new Planet of the Apes movies as well, right? Like right. we're we, this feels like the end of the first Planet of the Apes, where it's like, oh, they're free now. What's going to happen? I, did you guys see the uh, post credit stinger um, where we get a brief glimpse of, I believe, Las Vegas? Wait, and there was a post credit scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah, a yeah. post credit. There's scene, something yeah. running around Las Vegas. Yeah, I had so no idea. Like, I was like two thirds of the way home by the time the credits were over. <laughs> you were out. Yeah. You're just I running. was on the subway. <laughs> I, I will Jeff say, I've read reading the running away from the island scene. <laughs> just getting away from this movie. I got into my ball and I rolled down the hill <laughs> and screamed, "Run! Get away to everybody you saw!" In the lines, yeah, yeah waiting exactly. for this movie. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's a post credit scene that I, I I will admit I also missed it as well because mm-hmm. um it was it was 85 degrees in the theater that I watched this oh, at man. it was so hot people were like fanning themselves because it was so hot so and I really didn't like the movie at all so by the end I was just like I'm getting out of here uh but I yeah I'm told that the, like the uh, ending of the po- post credit sequence which takes place in Las Vegas strongly implies that the next film will be like a Dino heist movie which is uh. 
Maybe something <laughs> we can look forward to. I, I, I'm in. I'm I in. need. Uh, I need. I need eleven. Di- no, no. <laughs> Twelve dinosaurs. Yes, Ocean's exactly blue. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so guys, we uh, haven't actually uh, talked about like some of the other characters in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we. I think we've talked about them as much as the movie. Well, I mean, there, there are new characters. They're here. Yeah. And well, uh, kind of interesting, I guess. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's hilarious nerd boy, and there's heroic nerd girl, yep. and uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, this is very faint praise, but um, I uh, so the the two yeah the two new characters played by Justice Smith and I think Daniela Pineda. Yep. Uh, yeah. I they're again they're barely characters but also so are the leads mm-hmm. and i liked the new characters a lot more than the leads i was kind of hoping they would kill off the uh you know <laughs> chris pratt eventually and just like give us these nerdy kids because i kind of love them too yeah yeah well because i mean chris pratt i, I think i think that they did kind of course correct a bit from the last one because i think chris pratt is like really kind of insufferable in jurassic world mm-hmm. and that he's just always right uh, all the time yeah. he's just always awesome always right about everything Mr. action hero man basically yeah he, he it, there's nothing interesting or, or compelling about him other than just chris pratt's inherent charisma and and bryce Dallas howard's character is just treat, treated so terribly mm-hmm. in jurassic world uh where she's just the career woman who has to learn that like maybe she should be a mom and and just be, i i really like feel bad for just for her in the in the last movie because yeah she's just treated awfully throughout it and in this Chris Pratt is less insufferable, uh, still not really interesting, but I think he's like the the negative aspects of both of them are toned down. Yeah, and so yeah. I don't mind them as much. And Pratt's but, uh, character, I think, is a little more vulnerable too, like because he, he it is. is about like he he's doing it to save Blue. And no matter what you think of Blue, I think they're this movie at least cements that connection better than the first movie did or the last I, movie. I, I totally agree. But and the new characters, they're they just react a bit more humanly. Like uh, like Justice Smith, who who's a really mm-hmm. good actor, who um I loved on the show The Get Down, which was tragically canceled. Yeah, yeah, great actor, and just having someone be scared and freaked out, as opposed to Chris Pratt, who was just always stoic and mm. confident and not really worried. He rides totally... motorcycles with raptors. Yeah, and so just having a character who reacts like in a way that makes sense to me was nice and also i do like that little sequence where uh justice smith and bryce dallas howard are just trying to escape up like a ladder mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's, just, it's like a mini set piece and uh just and like while this falling all around them yeah yeah and it just has little action beats where like they climb up they have to get a chair to like get up to the ladder but then the ladder like when they're up slides down and they get closer <laughs> to the dinosaur and little things like that that's like what made the spielberg set pieces in the first two movies really effective yeah. and i thought the ones in like Jurassic world are lacking and so even though it's like a a small scene compared to like the big volcano eruption it's just more effective and more to me more enjoyable than you know i've seen in the series in a while and uh yeah thought it was pretty good patrick I like, more how pieces. I, I like how your your standards for this this film series has fallen to a character <laughs> showed vaguely human emotions <laughs> i mean and, I, david i just rewatched all four of these movies <laughs> as, as as research for the video so i my expectations were very low because i have just <laughs> re, like reimmersed myself in the disappointment in the escalating disappointment of mm. the jurassic park sequels indeed mm-hmm. indeed mm-hmm. um okay well let's talk about a couple things that happen at the house and then we can talk a little bit about the ending yeah. um but uh yeah the house 
some some decent set pieces there. I think like the biggest dumb thing that happened was Ted Levine's character uh, leaves the cage open when he goes in to inspect the indom- the I'm sorry of the course. Indoraptor, and like my audience was just, like groaned audibly when that occurred because it's like <laughs> yeah. such the stupidest move, you know. But also the best death. The best uh, death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty good death. Um, he just and, wants teeth, uh, you guys. What's he just wants teeth? What could I mean, possibly getting, go like, wrong? Getting the arm bitten off and then eaten was just like that was like for what they can do in a PG thirteen movie. I I just like dinosaurs eating people, and mm. so and like he's I'm a, a guy who man. has a simple man. You just like dinosaurs <laughs> yeah, eating and, people, and, and also people. evil people should be eaten. You yeah. know, right. it's a basic morality. Come on, exactly. And <laughs> you knew he was going to die, and yeah. he had to, and and also that. They did implement the like uh, the practical dinosaurs like yeah. in a, a way better way than they have been the last one, and so just like the the seamless blend of, of CGI and practical stuff, and in that scene in particular, just as dumb as it is that he leaves the door open, I like you know you know what's coming, and I thought it was really satisfying. And watching him get lifted up by his arm, and then the arm get bitten off. I was into it. I was very yeah. into it. He walks into a room where everybody was supposed to be, what, bidding? We're still in the bidding room at yeah, this point, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, no one's there. He goes, huh, this is a perfect opportunity for me to get a tooth. <laughs> hey, you know, collectors really just, you got to go the extra mile to really catch be a collector. We got to catch them all. I thought everybody was going to be down here bidding on the animals. They're all not. I got what? some free teeth. My lucky day. It's we, yeah. time. We have to talk about the bidding scene, guys, because <laughs> they're, these are Dr. Evil-esque prices yeah. Yeah. in terms of how, how yeah. low they are. I mean, it's like they're buying the, – these are, these are one-of-a-kind genetic creations uh, that, that are the last of their kind, yeah. and you're willing to pay about as much – as uh, the poster budget for the movie Jurassic World, for one of these <laughs> right? Like yeah. that's how much you spend on posters for Jurassic World. It's nuts. Is it's like ten million? That is a laughably low price. I, I just it it feels like this is a movie <laughs> written by millionaires. Like you know, it's a banana, Michael. How much could it cost? Ten dollars? You know, like it's like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like these people are so out of touch. They don't know what real things cost. I'm just stunned that no one was like, hey, maybe we want to jack the price up on these things just a tiny bit to make it more plausible and my assumption was that they're all just waiting for the t-rex and like uh-huh. bidding low for these yeah yeah, yeah you're, you're a chump if you buy the uh you know stegosaurus <laughs> uh, you know but what, what are they i have two questions and maybe you guys will be able to answer them both uh the first is what what are they going to use them for in the black market there, there's some in inference that they're going to use them as weapons so the idea mm-hmm. is you just like drop it in your enemy's house i guess well that, that's why them? you have those guns you have those laser sight oh, guns oh you point it you kind of point it well, they could, and uh yeah i think bd wong also implies that they yeah. will take the genetic material and like engineer them themselves or something like that but i thought that yeah, the yeah. gun thing only worked with the uh, with the, the new super one the oh yeah, yes. yeah yeah which right. brings me to my second question <laughs> And maybe I just missed this because I was, let's be honest, barely paying attention at this point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we need to get Blue's DNA to make that one? And if so, that one sure grew fast. Like, didn't (laughs) didn't they? Like, there was some indication that it needed to be both the mother and this is explained. It is okay. I just yes, because the one and I, I can't believe that I am the one who. Paid super close attention <laughs> to this. Jurassic World Do Fallen it. Kingdom. Okay. 
So the Indoraptor in the movie was the prototype, as they, they, they say repeatedly. And so it does not have Blue's DNA, which will make it responsive to, like, uh, human commands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's what they wanted. They, they were going to make one that's, like, the same thing, but you can control it the way Chris Pratt controls Blue. But this one has none of that, and so it's just ultra vicious. So ultra they, vicious. How, did we, do we find out how the hell they made this one? Is this science, Jeff? Well, if <laughs> we mean, just make new dinosaurs in the lab, why do we need to go to the island and get the, all the dinosaurs? Well, they, yeah. Not everybody has BD yeah, Wong. Yeah, Patrick, what do you, 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 you got to have BD Wong wait, everywhere? Look, what do you remember, that, I didn't say this movie is good. I just said <laughs> I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think within the logic of the series and how dumb the series has gotten, a lot of things in this movie just kind of work. Oh, there's another new dinosaur. And instead of being like a crossbreed of a T-Rex, it's, it's like a crossbreed of blue, which we established before is like a better dinosaur or something. Or like, we always love the raptors. So let's make a crazier raptor BD's while we're in the those, house. stuff. bd has got those <laughs> video files of Chris, like hanging out with <laughs> yeah. the, the thing. And he's like, man, I could make dinosaurs all day, but I can't make one like that. Yeah. Can you round up this guy and a, a bunch <laughs> of uh, military dudes Take him to the island, get that thing, betray that dude, and then we'll get the sweetest thing. We can sell it for like $2 million. It's all about FOMO. It's all about FOMO for him. Uh, I have to say, guys, like, ask for in the house. Yeah, sorry, Dimitri, go ahead. No, no problem. There, there, There is stuff happening. Like, I actually enjoyed a lot of the house sequence. Uh, Headbutt Dinosaur, kind of enjoyed him. It's kind of yep. hilarious. Fun stuff. And also, um, was it the Indoraptor or whatever raptor was uh, chasing the little girl? Um, that whole sequence, that haunted house sequence of it just like following her throughout. Um, you know, it's cheesy as hell, but I really enjoyed like as a set piece. Like, I think there's a lot of great sequences throughout that, even if it ends kind of dumb. Um, so like and it does overall, use like, like, the, like the museum pretty effectively yeah. with like the 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 model dinosaurs in there. There's the part where the power goes out and then it comes back on and you've got the reveal. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just like solid suspense filmmaking. That's really just like what I want. You have to suspend like you 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 know your disbelief for sure. Uh, but I think that goes for a lot of this franchise. We skipped over a lot of the stuff that was happening on the boat, by the way, and have to say the boat thing. Another dumb. Like a dumb part of the script, they put on hats, and I guess they're okay. They can they can just sneak about this boat where they have all these people that they're worried about, you know, killing them and stuff. Uh, yeah. There's another mini and set no piece one, in there. No one's guarding the T Rex cage. No one's guarding the T Rex cage. <laughs> yeah, there is another mini set piece in there though. Like I love I love that T Rex thing. Another nice little claustrophobic sequence where it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, we're afraid of the T Rex, but also you have to you, you got to get this thing. You get the got to get the blood right. And I love. I, th- I think that's just constructed really well. Like, because you kind of don't know how it's gonna go. You don't know if that thing's gonna break free and just kind of wreak havoc all throughout the boat. And I think it's uh, played comedically really well. And like the suspense there is really well done too. Nice to see them climbing around a giant uh, practical model of the T Rex too. Uh, yeah, Phil, I agree. Philip Napier in the chat room says, "Best moment was when the nerd girl calls herself a paleo veterinarian without yes. ever having seen a dinosaur before." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like veterinarian is a strong word in that case. You're probably not a veteran, you know. Like yeah. uh, paleontologist is okay, but it, if yeah. you haven't actually, 
Like, if you've never right. uh, treated anyone, are you really a doctor? Do you know what it's I'm saying? It's an aspirational <laughs> title. It's an aspirational <laughs> title. That's right. Like futurist. I'm yeah. a doctor in my own mind I'm as well. I'm a surgeon. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a surgeon, and I've read all the books on surgery. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly <laughs> correct. Um, so, uh, but we, guys, we haven't talked about the biggest reveal in the film. Oh, my God. We have to. Which yeah. is that the daughter character – I'm sorry, the granddaughter character is actually not a granddaughter – but in fact, a clone of uh, Lockwood's daughter, this character that we didn't even know before this film actually existed. And how did it take <laughs> us five movies to get to this? By the way, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I like how uh, I like how the guy. I don't remember what his exact line was, but he said <laughs> Ray Spall was like, um, "Well, I mean, he had the technology, you know. Like, you might as well have used it." Uh, the, the, he, this guy Lockwood, lost his daughter. And uh, because he couldn't bear to be without her, he cloned her and then called mm-hmm. the clone his granddaughter. Uh, and I mean, so I, I wouldn't <laughs> be bothered by this, except the ending of the film when this entire dinosaur pen is being flooded with hydrogen cyanide, which, uh-huh. you know, I, really convenient that that one gas out of all the gases they have is flooding this pen. Uh, they, you know, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, Claire, goes through this, this moment where she's like, should I release them? I want to release them, but I'm not going to. And it's like, oh, okay, like, this is like the makings of an arc uh, of this character. Yeah, and she real- she realizes decision. that this stupid mission that none of us ever thought she would ever go on in the first place actually wasn't a good idea at all. Uh, right. and so it's like, okay, well, she comes to that realization, and that's I'll just nice. turn my back on that big <laughs> shiny red button. Just gonna turn my back for one moment and take a big sip of coffee. Just ignore uh, the kids over there, and yeah. then uh, all of a sudden, this clone girl presses the button and releases all the dinosaurs. And the idea, the idea is that she's like, they're just like me, also genetically engineered. Uh, and I, I'm really bothered by this for a couple reasons. First of all, completely removes Claire's agency from this entire thing, rendering her mm-hmm. arc completely inconsequential. And then the second <laughs> thing is uh, the idea that this clone, her being a clone, is supposed to be a meaningful concept to her, uh, and and that like this is like informs part of who she is, and then that that she has some kind of kin- like, like kinship with the dinosaurs because she's a clone. Yeah. Uh, a smarter movie would me. do that, Dave. A smarter movie would do that. A smarter movie would not telegraph this freaking reveal like twenty minutes into the movie. Well, I, like I, it's it's supposed to be a big deal, but it's it's pretty. It, the way they kind of like construct the mystery around this girl and who is she and why can we never see her mother? It it <laughs> it, it was pretty freaking obvious and pretty well, dumb. Because I think of what that. Dave is getting at, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, Dave. Please, but I think what you're, what you're getting at. Is uh, I'm a big dumb Dave. No, um, <laughs> you mean he's blind after the end of Book of Eli? What? <laughs> uh, I think what you're getting at is that if Claire's discovery that this girl is cloned and that this cloning tech can be used I- to create this beautiful little child, and uh-huh. there's some humanity here, and there's some, and we, it kind of gets related back to the. If we don't start with her as an advocate for the dinosaurs, but we get to her being an advocate for the dinosaurs because of the new information she learns about how life is precious no matter how – in its many forms, that feels like an interesting place to go and an interesting thing for our main character. Mm -hmm. And instead, what they have is a character that doesn't care about any of that. But this little girl's like, ah, fuck it. 
<laughs> you know? Yes, that's <laughs> like, exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Patrick, tell us about your tell, – tell me why you think the clone thing was good, Patrick. Tell me why. Okay. Uh, again, I'm not sure it's good, yeah. but I got a kick out of it because there's the scene – uh, not it's not like when the moment they make the reveal, but there's the part when she like she gets the the photo album from uh, from Lockwood and mm-hmm. looks at it, and you see the the photo of her mother, but it looks just like her, and uh, which is the first time it kind of like you know indicates oh she is a clone before yeah. they like really like say it in words, and and I'm sitting there in the theater when that happens, and I just mouth what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> because and it just hadn't occurred to me that this series was going to go as far into sci-fi as cloned humans and and that was when I, I i began to kind of get into the sort of just the bonkers nature of right. this movie and that look they've got cloned humans they've got straight up supervillains they're like selling dinosaurs <laughs> to Eastern European arms dealers. It <laughs> None is, of this it is, is good. None of this is good. <laughs> no, but but here's the thing. Like, look, if we're gonna get Jurassic Park sequels, this is. I mean, the series should have stopped at one, but yeah. the other ones have all basically just rehashed the. Uh, it's been like, kind of like warmed over versions of the first movie and to diminishing returns. And I feel like, look, if you're gonna make a Jurassic Park sequel, go nuts with it. Bring in just like this weird, goofy stuff, and uh, and like just like yeah, like bring in more sci-fi elements. Bring in like go gothic horror with it, and just right. make it into a new thing that is not trying to just be the first Jurassic Park anymore. And and even if on a script level, it's not handled elegantly, uh, I think it's directed with enough craft and skill to. To make it like at least to me, it was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And okay, my sort of like mildly hot take about this movie is that my reaction to it was very similar, but not as intense as with Alien Covenant. Mm. Uh, to me, it's it's kind of just like to a lesser extent the Alien Covenant of this series. That's not yeah, that's not a better than Prometheus, but <laughs> and, you know, yeah, right. Well, so like I was not a fan of Prometheus, and I felt like it spent it, it was way too concerned with being a prequel and being indebted to the original Alien. And I am a big fan of Alien Covenant, which basically follows up that movie by realizing that it should not care as much about the, the original one and just go in a weird new direction. And, and like, uh, coincidentally, they both kind of go in Gothic horror directions. I don't think this is nearly as effective as alien covenant, which is a movie that I like a lot, but I I do think they kind of in their respective franchises sort of serve similar functions. Yeah. They, they, They realize that they can't like just, operate off of nostalgia and they have to take things in strange new directions. Can I give you my pitch on what I think this movie should have been real quick? Please pitch it. Okay. Joe. So we, we start, uh, we start with movie with that, that intro sequence you guys liked so much. Okay. You can have it after that. <laughs> we meet Claire. She's got straight up PTSD from this horrible situation. In a psych ward. Yes. She mm-hmm. is. She, it, it is. This thing has tormented her life. She is, it, it, she was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of people. It was a horrible, yeah. barely got she, out by the she's skin She's doing routine. chin-ups on her mattress frame. Yes, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's been dating a series of martial artists and gun experts. No. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. no, 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 no. And no. then a raptor comes. No, 
listen to me. This, I think this is good. So the military comes to her and says, uh, there's the potential for the, there's dinosaurs are still on the Island. We need to go and eradicate them. You're the only one that knows the park well enough for us to be able to get in there and eradicate the dinosaurs. So this never happens again. Sure. Yeah. She has to get Chris Pratt to come with her. Two of them both really nervous about this. They know these dinosaurs are a, a, a a, hor- a threat. They're scary. They can't let this happen again. So they feel committed. They have to go. They go. The military. They find out. The guys double cross them. They're not killing the dinosaurs. They're going to take them off the island. Oh my God! Why? Who could be doing this? We get back to uh, the mainland. We find out. Big huge reveal. Uh, there was this other guy that was there with Hammond. There was a, he had a partner and this partner, what's this partner doing? Well, this partner has been working on this technology and been perfecting it and trying it with other creatures and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And by the end of the movie, we realize, and, and they have to try to stop him. They need to stop these dinosaurs before they get out. The dinosaurs are terrifying and horrible and scary. And at the end, we realize his granddaughter wasn't his granddaughter she is also a clone and then there's this big moment of realization like oh my god these are living creatures that that should be saved maybe we can actually save them and rehabilitate them and and then it, it, that's the turn is the thing that in every Jurassic Park movie is true which is these are scary terrifying monsters that want to rip you apart this the turn is oh my gosh maybe we should save them rather than it, we just finding that at the beginning of the movie. Oh, we should save the dinosaurs for no reason whatsoever. Like that should be the journey that our characters are on is coming to the realization that they're creatures that deserve life like any other endangered yeah. creature on Earth. I like that idea, Jeff. But uh, if you go that route, our heroes can't be paragons of virtue at the beginning of the movie. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, I guess America won't accept that in their big. Hollywood right. Yeah. They, they have to have flaws. And not not gonna happen in this in this franchise at least. That but yeah, is an effective actually, rewrite, though. I like yeah, that a lot. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the uh, just the very end, the final you know few seconds, not the post credits, but just the idea that now dinosaurs roam the earth. Patrick, <laughs> I, I mean, here, here's the thing, Patrick. Here's what I'm feeling right now is about overall thoughts of this movie is like I am just gonna have to accept if I'm to derive any enjoyment <laughs> out of this franchise ever again, I just need to accept that it has become. You know, B movie fodder, right? Yeah, insane exactly. B movie fodder, and and nothing more, and it will never aspire to be anything more, and it will never be anything more. I, I hate to break it to you, Dave. That happened with the Lost World. That was the Lost World. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't feel like you hate to break it to me. It sounds like you took some delight in that, Devendra. Um, no, I'm, I'm just, like that is a straight up B movie. <laughs> no, you're right. You know? You're right. Like, you're right. Yeah, and I've been I've been struggling to accept it ever since. <laughs> This so, is the reality we're living in. Yes, yeah. that's right. All right. So, uh, uh, thoughts on the the ending as we wrap up here, Patrick? What do you I think? Just, of- I wish I was sitting right next to you, Dave, because you would have been like, <laughs> "I was like, Homer this is Simpson. bullshit, guys. It's bullshit." No, I, I'm imagining like Homer Simpson <laughs> opening up the letter where Mr. Burns doesn't uh, spell his name correctly again. It's just like, <laughs> like, because yeah, this Burns movie breaks. Yeah. yeah, this movie breaks the universe or the Jurassic World universe um, in some significant ways, and it just starts us off to planet you know of the dinosaurs which i'm sure is going to be one of the sequels eventually like it's it's already called jurassic world but it's going to be like planet of the jurassic or something i I actually think the final sequence was really effective and you see them interacting with animals and stuff i just wish the stuff leading up to it hadn't been so dumb but sure sure. but everything uh that final sequence like this is the true promise of the lost world finally revealed uh patrick Mm -hmm. your thoughts on the final sequence 
Yeah, I mean, like uh, as I've, I've I've stated already, I was more okay than some of you with the <laughs> story elements that got us to this point, and also the thing is, I had just made this video about the Jurassic Park sequels, why they haven't worked, and I talked about like what I think they need to do if they're they're going to keep making sequels and they want to make something effective. And it, this does a lot of that. It is pretty much like go in a totally different direction and just get the dinosaurs onto the mainland. We like, if we want to recapture the, the sense of wonder that we had at the beginning of the first movie, when we first saw the dinosaurs, then we've got to like have people encountering dinosaurs just like in human civilization. And And so and and just like but also just the way that, you know, we have these like spectacularly evil bad guys through this movie and and then humanity is essentially punished by having the dinosaurs unleashed upon it. Uh, You know, the the species that that is like that that will destroy us. And then we get this we get this montage. I mean, that that thing, it's a shame that they put the shot in the trailer, but of the the giant aquatic thing just swimming through a wave toward a crowd of surfers. And I'm just sitting there in the theater cackling, just uh, (laughs) just so glad that dinosaurs are just going to wipe out humanity and eat everybody. And um, and yeah, because I I remember because these movies like ending on similar images and Jurassic World ends on just this bullshit shot of of the T-Rex oh climbs up to like this building overlooking the now destroyed theme park and roars because I win. yeah cuz you got to have the T-Rex roaring triumphantly and it just it just felt so hollow mm-hmm. and uh and and this movie ending with a raptor like uh, over on a hill overlooking this suburban development. Yeah, but, this, like, but, but you're you're omitting the fact that we'd still get a T Rex literally having a roar off with a lion. Oh, oh I mean, I, right. But but that is but goofy. that functions differently. But also a great. It's, I love that image. I do love it more. Goofy. I love also, it more than the T Rex just standing on top of a you know empty shell of a building, roaring for no reason. Right, like exactly, it's showing us something new. I think, yeah, interacting with another animal is an interesting image. But that the last shot of of the raptor over the development, Mm -hmm. there's this sadistic glee to it that I really got a kick out of. It's just like, yeah, it's gonna eat you all. It's uh, it's it's gonna eat all the people. (laughs) You just just like the like dinosaurs eating people more than anybody else. So I I appreciate it. It lays the groundwork for new territory. I think that's the main. Like this is me. Like I'm I'm imagining possibility comes back. To, yeah. He's going to direct the third one, and I have uh, zero hope for it, but I'll still see it. Yeah. I, I don't want to get past the fact uh, that the the final way we deal with the big, bad, whichever you call it, raptor, uh-huh. uh, is that the gun that shoots the laser that tells it exactly what to kill, uh, Claire has it, Chris <laughs> Pratt recognizes it, he nods to her. <laughs> And somehow that indicates you should point it at me. You <laughs> should point like... it at me because I'm going to run right at it and slide <laughs> at the last second. But like I felt in that moment, I couldn't help thinking like when she points it at him, he's like, wait, no, that's not what the nod meant. That's not what the nod meant. Because <laughs> that would be could, great. Couldn't she just point it literally anywhere else and it would leave? This is true. This is right. I think the main like the the again, that was a tense scene because like they were trying to get it, uh, get its tension away from the kids. So I think it's more like let's aggro on Chris Pratt because let the let the dinosaur fo- you know focus on him for a while. But you're right, like technically you should just attack anything, right? Literally just point it away. Anything, <laughs> and anything. it'll go away. Yeah. See, 
What I think is more interesting about that scene is just the image of the Indoraptor climbing across this yep. manor illuminated by a full moon in the rain. I'm just like, like, I don't care what dumb stuff happens. Like, this is incredible imagery. It's uh, like that I haven't seen before. And it reminds I me of like, that. yeah, if Tim Burton in his prime had done like a Jurassic Park, like I imagine we would have gotten some of this imagery. Um, yeah. Have to say with the ending too, like it just feels weird to be kind of excited about where this franchise could go because it could go literally anywhere at this point. I'm imagining like an I am legend type thing where yeah. Yeah, the dinosaurs have taken over an abandoned city. I'm imagining like a Mad Max esque feature where it gets even crazier. I want to see a raptor in space by the time this <laughs> franchise is over, guys. I want that. You want this to be the fast and furious uh, of dinosaur I do. movies, basically. I yeah. do. It might as well be. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, by the end of the movie, it becomes clear that it's no longer a Jurassic Park. It's now a Jurassic World. So, Guys, have you heard that the park is gone? <laughs> I've heard that that's the case. I have heard that that's the case. Okay, Jeff, I threw that in there for you. Um, <laughs> let's let's wrap up. Um, and you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Uh, our spoiler bu- bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. <clears throat> um, stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime... Patrick Willems, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can watch the videos I make with a, a great team of collaborators at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. You can follow me on all the social medias at Patrick H. Willems and check out the podcast that I host with Matt and Jake Torpy. It's called We Heart Hartnett, exploring the filmography of the actor Josh Hartnett, and it's everywhere that podcasts are. All right. Jeff Kanata? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I talk about video games on a show called DLC, which you can find at 5by5.tv slash DLC or anywhere you get podcasts. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about techandgadget.com. I was also on uh, Twit this week, so check that out at twit.tv. I know, Jeff, you were just there, so yeah, they really yeah. enjoyed you. I, I Hopefully, we could do it together at some point. Too. I would love that. Yeah, I hope yeah. that can happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so great that all the slash film ca- – oh. Wait. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find all my stuff at twitter.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky and youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. Next week, fellas, I think we are going to be doing our Mission Impossible retrospective. Um, so all five films. You got you to watch all of them to listen to that podcast. Yes, so. you, you must. Yeah, you got a lot you, of you homework. Have to. A lot of homework. Yeah. I mean, you don't really have to, but you, you, you should. You should. Um, and that is watch the first one. <laughs> that is to yes, celebrate yeah. the release of the entire entire quintilogy on uh, 4K UHD slash Blu-ray, whatever the hell it's called. 4K. Uh, it's coming out in advance of Mission Impossible Fallout, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. So tune in for that. And we'll see you next week. We watch the